Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Have you ever been in a situation where the ordinary of life just has you down? And even as a Christian, you think, what's the point? And it gets you a little bit in a rut. Well, tonight, we have a very special author joining us, Tish Harrison Warren. And she has a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. And welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And, you know, your foreword written by Annie Crouch, uh, not bad, huh? I know. I was so grateful to Andy for doing that. It was beautiful. It made me cry. Absolutely. And, you know, this is such a, a timely subject when you think about it, because it's just difficult being a Christian to begin with. Uh, when I say that, in a world where there's such ordinary things, like you mentioned, you know, brushing your teeth and having a bad breath, and we always start the day the same way, you know, we have to make our beds there's so many ordinary things that we do, but yet you draw us to the point where you want us to see that we can be sanctified in these practices. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Like you said, I think it is difficult to think about how this big, big story of the gospel intersects with our small days and how most of our time is spent in these small practices of caring for our bodies, loving our neighbors, caring for people around us, taking out the trash, brushing our teeth, sleeping. And um, and so I think we can wonder, we can have big sort of theologies and doctrines of justification and sanctification, ecclesiology, eschatology. But we wonder, what does that mean in an average day? And so that was really what I wanted to explore in the most concrete, um, the most concrete and the most like practical way possible in this book. Yes, and you didn't retaliate, even though you were thinking about brushing your teeth and about uh, you were having thoughts about you know making beds and how people make their bed. But you still make your bed, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't make my bed. Yeah, I do. I, I didn't make my bed. I I tell a story in the book that for most of my adult life, I didn't make my bed, and it sort of didn't occur to me that people did, which I know for people who make their bed a lot that's or who are, you know, really into keeping a neat house, that's somewhat hard to believe. But um, I just the idea that you would have to make it, again and again and again is so um seems so counterproductive to me that i never did <laughs> and uh, and instead i would wake up and just um i would wake up with my smartphone as soon as i was conscious i would just grab the phone and read the news and look at twitter and um and so for lent one year i um became curious about the practice of making your bed and started asking friends if they did. And people had very strong opinions about it, shockingly strong. And um, so that year I, for my Linton practice, I banished my smartphone from my room and I, um, instead of waking up with a smartphone, would wake up and make my bed and then sit in silence and just let myself be bored <laughs> and and pray for and also pray um, and just listen and get acquainted with silence. I think someone like me who 
can be way too plugged in to the news and to social media. I just, um, and, and I have two small children age six and three. Now, when I was started writing the book, they were a baby and a toddler. And, um, so I didn't have a lot of time for a retreat or for a prayer, but even honestly, just a few minutes, like five minutes in the morning, um, sort of set me up differently for the day. And so, yes, I still make my bed and I still try to have just a very three to five minutes in the morning of quiet, just complete silence. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to be gross or anything, but you, you, you did talk about how we don't brush our teeth and bad breath. <laughs> I think to myself, you know, this is the life we're living, though, you know, and people who are closest to us, we have to get up and, and do all these different things and including being in traffic. You mentioned that, you know, just the ordinary of being in traffic, but there could be liturgy there. There could be time with God. And so you bring out a lot in, in your book about just the ordinary where we could think, you know, how could God work in my life in this situation? And yet you say he's very present and we could actually, you know, commune with him. And you also talk about the Eucharist since, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. So can you talk a little bit about that in conjunction with your book? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you made that connection with thanksgiving that's um so the so the eucharist which is communion um but the you know the term that catholic and historic people that worship with historic liturgy uses eucharist which is is um the etymology of that word is rooted in the word thanksgiving um you i think it's eucharisto means thanksgiving and um so this is a Thanksgiving feast. Every time as a church we take communion, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. We are giving gratitude for the sacrifice of Jesus, and we are feasting in worship and in gratitude. And so I talk about the link between that and our ordinary meals, just an average meal around a table, how it how the, our participating in a communal meal every Sunday transforms our ordinary meals to be moments of gratitude and moments of thanksgiving and moments where we remember those who, um, who are not well taken care of, who through um, systems that are unjust, even capitalistic systems is what I talk about in the book that are unjust in terms of, um, in terms of um, oppression of farm workers or non-living wages or abject poverty, and to think about how our eating habits um, affect other people and affect those around us, especially the least of these. And so just as the Eucharist itself is this call, it's this place of thanksgiving that calls us to a new kind of ethic and in and out of that Thanksgiving, we don't um, hoard the grace of God, but we give yes. it away in every way possible. It's this; it transforms our meals to be places where we have great Thanksgiving, and we want to love and bless others with our meals instead of instead of simply hoarding. Okay, now we're getting somewhere because you draw that out in your book that you know if we were just a little bit more 
gracious or had more gratitude, then the ordinary wouldn't seem so bad. And the things that uh, we feel dark or far away from God wouldn't be so bad. And usually, you know, you mentioned that even people at work who could do ordinary, you know, jobs that are boring, but they could do it with excellence and connect with God and, or if you will, show the excellency of doing things in, a, in an orderly way as, as God would. So uh, talking about grace and seeing grace throughout all of this is really where we can grow, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think <laughs> for us as Christians, at the end of the day, we're always talking about grace. Almost everything we talk about comes back to grace and comes back to a gift. Even the idea of sanctification and being made holy is by grace. It's a gift from God who forms us and grows us and not of works. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. Anytime we talk about the daily, anytime we talk about the Christian life, we're talking about grace and we're talking about a gift. Yes. I think the confusion for a lot of us is that we're trying to find meaning and we can't in, in the ordinary, let's just say, of everyday life. And yet God knows exactly what he's doing. And he, he knows that there's meaning in sending an email, as you mentioned, or there's meaning in a spreadsheet or, uh, even in these ordinary things that we do, uh, maybe just talking to a coworker or opening up the door for someone. Uh, I think that we're not really sure just where the meaning lies in the ordinary. And I think that escapes us a little bit as humans. I think that's absolutely right. And I, I wrote this book out of my own struggle with meaninglessness in my day-to-day life and my own struggle with how how do we find meaning and purpose in the small moments of our days and in, and in the long stretch of ordinariness that makes up most of our lives. And um, I think there is great meaning there. I think, first of all, I think... Uh, Um, we believe in the incarnation as Christians. And so the fact that Jesus spent the majority of his years on earth as a regular guy who lived in obscurity, who nobody knew except for his family and friends and who worked and slept and took care of his body and probably had back aches and blisters. The fact that we believe that God himself inhabited that shows that there is deep, deep meaning in a, an obscure, small, faithful life that we, I think, as evangelicals can skip right from um, Jesus' birth to his public ministry. But we have to remember that the incarnation points to this long stretch of time where Jesus was a regular guy. And if Christ himself can inhabit that, then there is meaning, absolute meaning in our everyday life. And and then I think the second um, point uh, that I wanted to make with this book is that if we don't discover meaning in the small moments of our days, we'll always be restless because um, ordinary life is, in, is inescapable. All of us, no matter how exciting our lives may be, uh, are still people with bodies and limits and tasks to do and daily chores and we get sick and we get bored. And that's just part of being human. So much of our time, just in terms of numbers, is taken up by things like sleep and email and <laughs> conflict with our, the people closest to us. So if we 
if we don't find meaning in those things and those small parts of life, that ends up being collectively a huge, huge part of our life that we don't find meaning in. And so I wanted to press us to think about how powerfully meaningful these moments are. Otherwise, we'll be waiting for meaning our whole life and we'll spend our days um, in ways that we find the majority of our time we'll spend in ways that we find not meaningful. I agree. Usually idle time or just wondering where's the meaning and regular type of things that we do that can lead to a lot of destructive behavior. People can't handle the fact that they don't put a meaning to the regular of life. You know, some people, they stay busy or they'll work out or they'll pray or they'll read the Bible, but there are those that get really lost in a dark, uh, dark place by not seeking God uh, first and, uh, and finding meaning. So uh, did you use Ecclesiastes as, as your kind of primer or primer? <laughs> I didn't. That's actually, that's a really interesting point. I didn't use Ecclesiastes, but I like Ecclesiastes. I think, um, I think in post-modernity where we're at, Ecclesiastes is, it speaks to that. I mean, I feel like <laughs> the writer of Ecclesiastes could pass as a millennial, I think, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he does wrestle with the vanity of life, with the vanity of work, and wrestling with meaning in these things. And I didn't read Ecclesiastes, I mean, I didn't read Ecclesiastes as part of writing this book, but I have read and studied Ecclesiastes. And now that you say that, I'm going to go back and look at it in light of this book. I think that's a great point. And you even mentioned, I appreciate your transparency and talking about a fight that took place with your husband, because if we're really honest, married couples do fight. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and you had mentioned that in part of your book, Uh, tell us really, you know, some of the, the uh, sanctification in the fact that we fight, but you know the ones that we care about, the ones that we're closest to, and that's even part of the ordinary. Um, so by the end of the chapter, my husband and I reconcile, and we repent, and we apologize. But there's pain in that. There's hurt in that. It's hard to reconcile. Even in small fights, there's a little bit of... Um, there's a there's a little bit of ache in forgiveness and kind of giving up your rights and dying to self in just a small way there. And on the other side of that, there's life, right? On the other side of that, there's a beauty and reconciliation that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So it's a chapter about passing the peace, and it's a chapter about reconciliation, but it starts with a fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and a lot of people can relate to that, certainly, and and you know, and find grace in these everyday moments. That, as you said, you know, we can uh, have repentance and forgiveness. And so we appreciate you pointing that out. Uh, as far as the cover, interesting with the the peanut butter and the jelly. So how'd you come up with that? Oh well, I did not come up with that. <laughs> I am a writer. I write things, and then the brilliant art director at IV, at InterVarsity Press at IVP came up with that. But I love it, <laughs> and no one has asked me yet about the cover, so I'm glad you did. So I had no idea what they were going to do with the cover. They don't um, talk to the authors about that. So I got, 
I got a few. It looks good. It looks real good. <laughs> oh, I love it. I really love it. But I got a few cover images, and they were all the sandwich theme. And um, out of that, this was my favorite, and it was the art director's favorite. It was a lot of people's favorite. But I love it because um, there's a lot of symbolism in the cover that people miss. So it's a peanut, if people haven't seen the cover, it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But the art director took um, communion, you know, bread and wine or bread and grape juice, depending on your tradition. And she took those elements, wheat and grapes, and thought, what is the most ordinary <laughs> manifestation of these? And it's, a, it's, it's, it's bread and jelly, right? Grape jelly. Right. So mm-hmm. she's put some peanut butter in there. And um, so it's... I love the idea of it's this artistic representation of our Sunday worship connected to our everyday life and peanut butter and jelly and the um, the bread and and grape jelly is kind of elevated above the peanut butter in this in the same way that if in a Catholic or Anglican service you elevate the bread and wine and so. Um, I love it. And it's green, which in liturgical churches is ordinary time. The book cover is green. And so mm-hmm. um, it's actually just like so full of symbolism, but you would know it. It's just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's so ordinary. So I feel like the cover itself kind of speaks to the point of my book that in this ordinary earthy stuff of earth, you find stuff of heaven. You find sacredness. Mm hmm. So you're not pushing to uh, change the elements then with peanut butter and jelly. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> joining us is uh, Tish Harrison Warren. She's the author of a great book. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. So we've been talking about just some of the everyday occurrences, brushing your teeth, making your bed, sending an email out, even having fights with hubby, you know, everything that we go through. And so I want to ask you within all the research or just in the writing of the book, what did you walk away with as far as growing uh, and coming away with learning about the ordinary and of course, Jesus? That's a great question. I feel like there were many times while I was writing the book that I felt like God was teaching me things and that I think all writers start writing out of their own struggles. And so there were times when I was writing and I would just start crying because um, the Lord was teaching me things through the writing. In other words, I know this, um, I think it's hard for um, non-writers to understand this, but maybe not. But there are times when I'm writing where I feel like um, even though I'm writing it, it's something that I didn't know yet, <laughs> that I'm, I'm learning something in the process of writing. And so, um, for me, I think that I have come to see my daily life in a different way. I cannot see the symbols of, for instance, water in the same way again. It speaks to me. It reminds me of baptism and the love of God for us shown in that. It's, um, things like bread and wine. Um, even things like um, work and thinking about the sacredness of work. There's there's some time for joy and fun for the sake of it. But the, these 
but then when these become habituated in my life where I need them in a way that's inordinate, that they're shaping me and they're shaping my mind and they're shaping my heart in ways that are um, diminishing my capacity to live fully in the gospel. And so I think that I think more about the way I spend my days, the way I spend my time. But I also think that it's brought conviction of the ways that I have practices that malform me, that make me less of a worshiper. Yes, and you mentioned also that this reliance on the Lord, this absolute, you know, we're like children, and in the midst of finding meaning in the ordinary, that we really have to depend on Him, and we're helpless, and a lot of times we don't maybe want to be in that kind of situation, even to ask, where are you, God, in the ordinary of life? So uh, what about that book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God? People have mentioned that this is kind of a modern-day take on that. Did you read that book? Did you enjoy it? Yes, I have read that book. And I'm really honored that people would think this is a modern-day take on that. This is There is a long tradition of this. Practicing the Presence of God is you know, one of the most ancient of um, one of the oldest of those books. I will thank Brother Lawrence if I get to meet him in glory for for his work in this. Absolutely. And you have a nice writing style, that's for sure. Very intimate and very honest and warm. And I'm sure you get a lot of comments like that. Thank you. That's really great to hear. I, I still feel like I'm fairly young and new as a writer. and And so it's great to hear that. Thank you. You are very welcome. So if you could give any, I guess, advice when you talk to, of course, you're talking to the audience here, and that uh, where can they go in Scripture and guiding them to get closer to the Lord to find a little bit more meaning? And in the midst of the ordinary, we mentioned Ecclesiastes, but uh, either direct us to the Scriptures or, or give us just a little bit of hope, if you could. If, uh, famous last words, if you would. <laughs> Um, well, two things. I think when we approach the Gospels, we need to, um, we need to, as much as we can, connect with Christ's humanity as well as his divinity and worship him for that. I mean, worship that we have a God that fell asleep in the back of a boat. That's beautiful. Um, and then I, I mean, I think the last thing is that, um, we need the historic practices of the church and worship. We need them because it's not just our brains that need to get this gospel, but our bodies and uh, our imaginations and, our, and the way symbolism shapes us. And so we need these ancient forms of worship to draw us um, out of our minds and and I am I would be the first to say we need doctrinal purity we need really solid theology and I love that stuff I can get drunk on on talks of ecclesiology I I am the first that wants to go out and talk about theology with you so we need that but with that we need practices that shape yes in the ordinary thank you so much Tish for letting us see how God is working in our lives and that he wants to draw us closer to him and, and to just stop and see, as you said, you know, the humanity uh, and also the grace of God and, and giving us a lot to think of. So uh, we want to tell our audience, go grab a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right now and go out and get 
<laughs> Tish Harrison Warren's book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Uh, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.